So I first want to read the last two verses of this chapter. We'll pick it up in verse 13, but let's jump down to verse 28 real quick. It says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So they were astonished at his teaching. Have you guys ever read something in the scriptures or heard something where you were just blown away? It's like, what is this? <laughs> you know, this person, he's speaking with authority. This is absolutely right on. And this is the way it was as these people were listening to Jesus teach, astonished, ekplesanto in the Greek. It's to the point of being amazed at what Jesus was laying down and being overwhelmed. Do you guys find that as you do your devotions during the week and you're studying the scriptures? There's just sometimes you just got to sit there like, no way. It's just like a bomb just got dropped. <laughs> your mind is just blown away. You're just amazed at the goodness of God. I love that. And God is so big and so old. Guys, I've taught almost 3,000 Bible studies in my lifetime. I still get blown away weekly. There's always just something. I have never seen that before. Wow, God, look at this. He is so big and so awesome. So it's getting to the point of being overwhelmed. So really, we should make this our prayer as we come to the Lord's word. Help me to see. Help me to hear. Help me to be amazed at who you are. So there's two concepts here, or two, two ways that we're going to consider this morning um, that are in the text before us, uh, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. So that's the concept that Jesus is laying down as he finishes up this Sermon on the Mount. You save the best for last, and he's getting to the point here this morning, this is what it's all about. So he appears, uh, this, this idea or concept of two ways, it's all the way through the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. We find it in the, uh, the, the, the Grecian, Roman literature all over. They, they talk about that. The Dead Sea Scrolls that we have speak to that. So literature containing this motif contracts uh, contrast opposites for the sake of gaining perspective. That's why we have these two different concepts that are going to be put before us, okay? Wide, narrow, easy, hard, right? Uh, destruction, life, many, few, okay? There's a point to it, and I want you guys to see that because we're going to see a lot of twos this morning. Um, continental divide. Has anybody hiked it? Are you serious? But a part of it? You are so lucky. That's cool. How far did you go? Oh, just 60 miles. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so what's the continental divide, right? It's, uh, uh, <laughs> we have in America, North America here, it's a name that's given to the principle in large, we have the large mountainous um, hydrological divide of the Americas. So it separates the watersheds that drain either into the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. That's what the Great Divide does, okay? And it has these different drain systems. So it starts all the way, you guys can see the slide here, up in Alaska, runs all the way down through Canada, through Central America here. Um, 
into Mexico, all the way through South America. It's pretty cool. Check it out online. It's pretty fascinating. Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because it's just really cool to talk about considering what we're talking about this morning. They actually say that a house that sits on the top of the Great Divide, okay, determines whether uh, the drop of rain will end up in the Atlantic or the ocean. <laughs> that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Okay, so that's pretty, it's pretty clear. There's no gray area. <laughs> it's within, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a fraction of an inch. I mean, it's exact. Here's the line. You're either on this side or you're on that side. There's no gray area. Um, so this portion of scripture that's set before us, guys, we are shown the scripture's great divide. That's what we're looking at this morning. This is super clear. So this morning, we'll look at uh, choices we make. Okay, you'll choose one of two roads, one of two animals, one of two trees. Uh, you'll be one of two disciples. You'll build on one of two foundations. Okay, two type of builders. So let's take a look here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. The two roads, one that leads to life and one to destruction. He says here, enter by the narrow gate. So Jesus wants us to enter by how? the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad that leads to destruction. Okay? How many hundreds of thousands of different belief systems are in the world? Okay? I'm going to sit here this morning and just talk about all the different things. Jesus says there's one. It's narrow. I've made it simple, God says. There's one truth. You can't be right. You can't be right. Because if you're right, things I believe can't be right. Are you sure, Pastor? Is there absolute truth? Are we absolutely sure that there's... I mean, think about that. People are so ridiculous today. Truth is truth. That's just black and white, okay? There's a line. So either Jesus is right or he's a liar. <laughs> so let's look at this. We believe he's God in the flesh, and he speaks here clearly, okay? There's a way that leads to destruction. That way is wide. Many go in by it. Then he says in verse 14... Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So I want you guys to picture for a second Jesus' day, countryside sit setting. He's up on the hill. He's teaching, okay, this sermon. Now, as they're teaching, people traveled to come hear him speak. People traveled by foot or wagon everywhere. They went back then. Often the bandits, the robbers, um, did their dirty deeds on the well-traveled because, hey, that's where people mostly are going to go is this main wide <laughs> path that everybody takes to get here to there. So travelers commonly used one of two roads. The popular was the highway, the wide road, the one that had the caravans travel. Uh, it was an easy route the traveler had access to water and there would be stops uh, along the way, different comforts for life. And it was always shorter, but it also was the one that held the robbers and the murderers. So there was another road, a narrow path, okay, that was trodden by wise men. Okay, it was long, it was difficult, winding back and forth up steep mountains and hillsides, but the travelers would reach their destination safely. So the road of pleasure is wide, it's full of luxuries, but the dangers are great, and the journey ends in serious loss. 
But the road that's leading to life, it is a narrow road. It's difficult. Few find it, okay? That's literally in the original Aramaic, okay? It is narrow. It's difficult. And few were found on it. That's what it says. So to travel this way, uh, one must deny himself from physical comforts intended that tend to destroy the spirit and must take up their cross and must march through life until he reaches the gate of paradise where happiness and eternal life is in store. So our culture today, guys, especially in this generation, is so scared of being narrow-minded. You know? Some people, just a little bit we've considered this morning, people would be just like, you are so narrow-minded. No, I believe in God. I believe what he says. You may think that's narrow-minded, you know, but if we really think about it, what does that mean, being narrow-minded? What does God want us to do? Truth? (laughs) Or believe all the lies that are out there? Okay? Because there is truth, guys. So, um, why is God so narrow? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves this morning. Why is he so narrow? Well, if God had 15 right paths for us, the enemy would still find 15,000 wrong paths. I mean, that's just the reality. Satan's good at what he does. Instead, God made it very simple with one way. Jesus tells us, and you can jot down John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. I'm the gate. Okay? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There's salvation by me. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. So the way has always been narrow, lonely, and costly. It demands self-denial. It calls for a strictness of obedience and a watchful spirit. Nevertheless, enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. That is what he's telling us. And then he says, few. So God's people have always been a remnant. Think about that. Throughout all of history, very small group of people, who follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very few, okay? Um, A small minority in the world. So you can't walk on both roads. Small minority. Let's, this is why I'm not standing today. I just, (laughs) guys, my heart breaks, okay? We live in crazy times. We live in a Christian nation. Just be logical and think for a second. We live in a Christian nation, right? constitution founded upon biblical principles but in our schooling the training of our children we're not allowed to teach them the bible which was the first book they printed because they needed things for our kids in public school but now we're not even allowed to do that okay there's a division of church and state which is totally unconstitutional if you actually read the constitution but think about it for a second we live in a time where there's tolerance of everything and they look at born-again believers, Christians, as being narrow-minded, okay? You watch the news. Everything's okay. Everything goes except for Jesus. Am I being unfair, or is that the truth of what we're seeing today? You don't have to watch the news too long to see everything is okay. (laughs) Killing babies is okay. How dare you Christians say that's wrong? Homosexuality is not okay because God says so. How dare you Christians? Muslims teach the same thing. There are mosques all over America. Why don't we see them 
being called out? Why is it just Jesus? Think about it, guys. Narrow is the way. Jesus says, there is no other way to the Father except through me. And that is the point, okay? Hell is reality. Heaven's reality. We all want to go to heaven, okay? But the reality is, the prize is God himself. If we want to get to the Father, it's really about him, you know? You guys know I'm not afraid to teach the truth. I'll talk about sin. I'll talk about hell. It's all over the Bible. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven, We'll talk about it. But the point is God. It's not I come to faith just to get my ticket to heaven. No, it's because you want to be with God. That is the point. And there's a lot of people that aren't willing to come. They'll suppress the truth, we're told in Romans chapter 1, because their deeds are dark. They love the darkness. They love their sin, and that's why they will not humble themselves and come to the Lord. And think about this with me for a second. Every religion in the world is based on works except for one. Christianity. Think about that. If Jesus says narrows the gate, why is Christianity the only religion in the world where it says you're saved because of a savior, because of God, what he has done, where every other religion is works-based? This is what you have to do to earn your way to heaven because it's pride. It's flesh. Look what I can do to be right before my maker. Well, what we have we done right? We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, guys. That is the truth. And all these religions, every single one of them, are lying to people. But God, in his graciousness, has spoken the truth. He's given us truth this morning. And saying, hey, I am the only way. It's narrow. This is it. And it makes sense to me. It just makes sense. If you study and are just logical, it's clear. Is Jesus the Savior of the world or not? Why is Christianity so different than every other religion in the world? Why isn't it by works? Why am I saved by grace? Because that's the only way, guys. Anyways, I'm sitting for a reason this morning. Um... Picture coming to pass um, while backpacking, okay, where the rocks are so narrow that you must slip off your backpack even to get through, okay? Has got that picture in your head? Okay, I'm going through this pass. It is narrow. I'm already big enough, and my backpack ain't helping, you know? I take off all the baggage to slip through. That's what Jesus is asking of us. Let go. I'm going to do it. You don't need anything. And get rid of all the baggage. So do you have baggage that you need to get rid of, okay, to rid yourself of from today that has been keeping you from entering the narrow way? Because that's what it is. People want to hang on to their baggage, you know? I know I need to get right with the Lord. I know I need to do this and that. But they're not willing to let go of the baggage. God says, come as you are. Come as you are. I'll give you a new slate. You'll be clean. We'll take care of that baggage. It's gone. Cast all that stuff on me. I died for your sins. All of it. But again, it's our pride, our flesh. I got to get it right. I got to do this. When, I, when I'm good enough, then I'll get right with God. That is so backwards, guys. It's a perversion to the gospel. Okay? God loves us. He came to seek who? The sinner, the lost, the sick. 
That's who he came for. So let's move on. We see two animals. Okay, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So if we read the context, verses 15 to 23, they're all connected here. You can pretend to be sheep and prove to be wolves. There's a lot of Christians out there pretending to be one of the sheep. We see it. You don't have to watch Christian television too long before you can spot a false teacher. They're a wolf. (laughs) They're in it for the money. They have another agenda. It's not for the glory of God. It's for the glory of themselves. You know, I have a hard time listening to anybody that has their name on their ministry. It's just like, hey, check out Kenny Colfin Ministries, you know? Really? You know, what's that about? I thought it's about Jesus, you know? So, a wolf turned shepherd. You guys ever read Aesop's fable? Okay, a guy was a slave, storyteller, believed to live in Greece between 620 to 560 BC. Anyways, one of his stories, they had a wolf who had been prowling around this flock of sheep for a long time, and the shepherd watched very anxiously, right? Oh, my sheep! A wolf, right? He's freaking out, okay, to prevent him from carrying off a lamb. But the wolf did not try to do harm. Instead, he seemed to be helping the shepherd take care of the sheep. At last, the shepherd got so used to seeing the wolf about that he forgot how wicked he could be. And then one day, he even went so far as to leave his flock in the wolf's care while he went on an errand. But When he came back and he saw how many of the flock had been killed and carried off, he knew how foolish it was to trust a wolf. You guys know the moral tale, right? Wolf, once a wolf, always a wolf. That's the point here. So Jesus teaches us that false prophets are distinguishable by their deeds, just as righteous people can be identified by theirs. So our topic in this section include false prophets, false professions. And we told, we're told that in the last days, we're going to see a whole lot more of this. And the sad part is there's always been other religions, many people following whatever religion they want. But we see within Christendom so much false teaching and wolves. That's why we take the word of God serious here. We need to know the truth and the truth will set us free. We need to be in God's word that we're able to distinguish and see a false teacher when they're out there. Because it's going on right here in our own backyard, guys. You know, I don't want to be that guy and saying you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but it's not me saying it. This is what God has said. Do we believe him Or are we going to go on by our denomination, our traditions, and believe what man has set up? That's your choice, guys. You guys understand the stuff this morning, these are choices. People have a choice. They're not being duped by false teachers. They follow them for a reason because they're going to heap up teachers for themselves because they have itchy ears. I like this guy or this gal, what they have to say because they're telling me what I want to hear. You know? We've had people leave the church here. It's just like, it's not very nice what you say. Some of you guys are encouraged by the exact same message. That was right on, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Live for the glory of God. Okay? The problem is we want to make about us. Well, I want to go to a church that tells me that I'm good. 
that everything's great and if I just have faith, I can be well and rich and blessed by God. Well, God's told us, hey, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trials in this life. I'm there for you. I'm going to do a work in the midst of it. Despite all the junk, I'll work it out for good. But he hasn't, pro- you guys get it? And that's the junk I'm seeing taught from pulpits today. I'm bringing the world into the church and we're just to be set apart from the world. There's a reason I'm sitting down this morning. Um, <laughs> so Jesus makes it very clear about these false teachers that are out there. Um, my family was at a chapel this week on Wednesday together at a Lutheran church. And the pastor said to all these people that were there that you're saved when you get baptized. By being baptized, you will be saved. And then the Holy Spirit will come and give you faith. Where in the Bible does it say this, guys? Hundreds of people lied to. Hundreds. Where in the Bible does it say this? Supposedly, they're Bible-believing Christians. Why doesn't any of them actually study the Word to see what it says? Where in the Bible does it say we're saved by being baptized? The Bible says we're saved by the grace of God. It says about repenting and believing. That is the call. It's very clear. It's going on in our own backyard, guys. We have these traditions. And it's sad because we're going to get here soon, but I've had a lot of people tell me, I know I'm going to heaven because I was baptized as a baby. Anyways, there's a reason I'm sitting down. Early church father said this, the church is something like Noah's ark was. Judgment on the outside, you can never stand the smell on the inside. I'm just like, <laughs> right on! <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so I'm the first to admit the church has its problems. We're not a perfect church. The church at large, I think there are a lot of churches that are teaching the word of God. Thankful for it. I wish they all would because that's what God's asked pastors to do. But think about it. How many churches right here in the Fox Valley? Quarter of a million people over 250 churches. How many actually teach the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation? That's what God's asked pastors to do. It's sad. There'd be a whole lot of repenting going on, change of thinking. People get blown away. You just really sit down and just teach what the Word says? Yeah, that's what we do at church. That's what the early church did. We just studied the book of Acts for over a year. We just finished that up. Isn't that what it said? Isn't that what the early church did? Isn't that the primary call? A lot of people like to go to church because of the worship experience. Oh, they got a rocking band. They did the lights real good. (laughs) Their air conditioning actually works really good. (laughs) (laughs) It's an emotional thing. But we look at the early church. What did they do when they gathered? It was primarily given to doctrine. We're going to get together to study the word. That's what the book of Acts did. I don't even see them worshiping together. I mean, they did worship together. But as we read in the scriptures, no, we're going to get the church's main purpose is to give doctrine and to give it rightly. And if we're not rightly dividing the word, how can we get it right? You guys don't take my word for it. You study the word. 
you back everything I say. What does the scriptures actually say about that? Is this right or not? Because I'm not perfect, guys. I've learned a lot. I've changed my thinking a lot through the years. But are we humble enough to come before God's word and say, okay, this is what you say. I just got to deal with it. Even if it doesn't make sense sometimes. Have you guys ever found that? But the more you study and the longer you're in the Lord, those things that didn't make sense, oh, that's starting to make sense now. You know, some young believers going through this passage, finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, might totally trip at what Jesus is saying here. Really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyways, verse 13 and 14. Um, we must not only be aware of our way, but also our leaders. We need to be aware of the leaders in the church. Men will come claiming Jesus is Lord and offering to lead away into his kingdom, but their lives will be marked uh, by a public, uh, by public rather than their private piety. So such men could never lead us into an experience into the kingdom, you know, of the kingdom of God. You know, I would hope if you guys ever just swung by my home, you know, that you would see, hey, you know, Pastor Landon, you know, he talks about loving others. He does love others. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. His house is kind of a mess, but it's in order. <laughs> you know? That's the one thing that validates a person for leadership is that their house is in order. And we see, you know, my heart breaks with the whole thing going down on Willow Creek. You know, another spot on the church at large. Another mega pastor taken down. What a bummer. I don't know if you guys know, but more than half of the churches in the valley are affiliated with Willow Creek. The business model. This is how we do church. There needs to be accountability. Leaders are not exempt. Do you guys know that? Okay, good. Um, so, such men can never lead us in what the Lord has. So the warning he's given is, beware of those that are, or beware of who they are, and the shepherd only warns the flock, but never, if a shepherd only warns the flock and never feeds them, they're going to die of malnutrition, right? But if he only feeds the flock and never warns them, he's simply fattening them up for the kill. So, we must try the spirits of those who profess that they're sent by God. That's what we're told in Scripture. Test the spirits. And we must see beneath the sheep's clothing and spy out wolves. And they're out there, guys. We've seen it happen. We've had through the years. We're celebrating 11 years today. Pretty cool. We've had wolves come into this fellowship who took off pretty quick. Why? Because we know truth. We were able to spy them out real quick. And they land at another church. They're there for a while. And then their deeds are exposed, what they're really up to. And the pastors are like, I had no idea. I didn't see this coming. You know, We need to be aware. I want you guys to turn to Acts chapter 20 with me. Two parts, two reasons for us looking at these few verses together. We'll look at verse 28 and on in Acts chapter 20. One, you guys need to be praying for the elders of the church, leadership. It speaks here, therefore, in verse 28, take care of yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, and draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day in tears. And that is so truth. We need to be watchful, guys. Okay? We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to take it serious. Okay? God has purchased the church with his blood. But there are going to be those that come in. Okay? That's a hard thing. Some of you guys know that I uh, did chaplaincy work for the county. We would looked for years. It was about a three-year looking. I told the board, you know, I think it's going to be time to leave. Uh, it's time for me to be done. But I hung in for over a year because we wanted the right guy to come in afterwards because there has been circles within um, our, our counties, chaplaincies in these institutions where they've hired chaplains who are Wiccans. They've hired chaplains who, you know, are this or that, new age. It's just craziness. Well, we wanted our brother to come in that actually knew God. <laughs> You know, someone who's truly born again is going to be able to preach the gospel stuff. So it's one of those things we got to be very careful. Let's go back to Matthew. We got to start moving. Let's consider two trees, verses 16 to 20. Jesus says, Here you will know by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will, uh, you will know them. So one is unto fruitfulness and one is unto failure. Okay? That's the two here. The path, the fork in the road. Uh, teachers of righteousness act righteously. A bad tree produces bad fruit. False prophets act wickedly. Um, fruit check. Okay, the test here, you'll know them by their teaching, their living, and their effect upon your minds. And again, guys, Acts 17.11, you can jot down. This is out of the New Living Translation. It says, The people of Berea, they were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message uh, they searched the scriptures day by day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Okay? It's on us to teach. You know how many people I've led to the Lord who are Catholic? Led an 85-year-old woman to the Lord, spent almost every day of her life in the Catholic church, shared the gospel with her. She knew enough of the Bible to know that what I was sharing with her was truth. And she's like, why hasn't anyone ever told me this? 85 years, guys. 85 years. Catholic Church teaches what? Some of you guys grew up in the Catholic Church. Page 29 of their, what do you do? Getting confirmed, confirmation. You are saved by good works. Perversion to the gospel. It's not what God teaches at all but it's what they're teaching people. You know? Ask a Catholic. How many of you guys have a Catholic friend? Ask them the next time you see them. How do you know that you're going to get to heaven? How do you know? Just ask them that simple question. It'll open up a great conversation, but just ask them that simple question. Nine out of ten of them are not going to say by Jesus, by his grace, his sacrifice. 
nine out of 10, and I've literally talked to hundreds of Catholics right here in the valley, majority of them, good works, or I got baptized. Or I hope, a lot of hoping too. I hope I'm good enough. And our salvation is sure in Christ Jesus, guys. It's a guarantee. Um, Verse 19 and 20 here, guys. If you look carefully, it's not our business to cut down or to burn, but it's to know. It's to know. Okay? There's times I want to go over to the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church to show up on a Sunday morning and say, I'd like to share something this morning. (laughs) But what Jesus is saying here, it's us as believers, we need to know. It's on us to know that when these things are being taught or we are sharing our faith with somebody else, we know the truth. Okay? We're able to point them to the scriptures. Yesterday was poised the question because my kids heard the pastor say, when you're baptized, you get saved. That's how you get saved. You know, we just asked them the simple question. Well, what are you going to do if one of your classmates comes to you and tells you you're going to hell because you weren't baptized yet? I told them they can't get baptized until they're 12. What are they going to say? You know, it's one of those things as we talked about it. It doesn't matter what we say. The Bible says, God has said, you guys understand that? That's why we need to study. Okay, a lot of people get mad. You're narrow-minded. Those people have not studied the Word of God that think, say those things. Have you read for yourself? Have you studied the Bible, the claims of Christ? <laughs> Do you not see that the Bible is the only supernatural book upon the planet? Thousands of prophecies. Over a thousand fulfilled to a T. Not one fulfilled in any other religious book. Not one. (laughs) What's right? What's wrong? Wide is the gate. Anyways, I'm getting so sidetracked. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sitting down to try to stay on track. Uh, The knowledge part. See where he said knowledge there? It's to save us from coming under the shadow or influence of false teachers. So who wants to build his nest upon a tree which soon will be cut down, right? All right, let's move on. Uh, There's two disciples. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, catch this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Whoa. Did Jesus really say that? Whoa. There's going to be people who actually confess, who say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, you're Lord. There's a lot of them out there. A lot of people who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And you look at the fruit in their life and you're like, I don't know about that. We can't judge. We don't really know their heart. You know, we're saved by grace. It's not by works. But if you're really saved, you're going to be born again of the Spirit of God. You're going to see changes. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about. You came to faith. Life radically changed. Everything radically turned upside down. What happened? He happened. Regeneration, sanctification, we're justified. So, on Judgment Day, the true disciples will be separated from the false. Okay, I believe what he's talking about here in verses 21 to 23 in that day, okay, um, are going to be those who say, Lord, Lord. I think that's the great white throne judgment. That's what I personally think. 
And there's going to be many there saying, hey, I know you, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Okay, you guys have heard personal relationship. Why is that so important? Because it is. Either he's your dad or, or not. <laughs> you know? Do you know him? That's what he cares about. And that's what happens when you finally bow the knee, give allegiance, finally surrender and humble yourself to Jesus. You cry out to him, forgive me, Father. Forgive me. And you follow him. You give your life to him. You come into relationship with him. You're born again of the Spirit. It's not a work. It's not getting wet. I think it's so ridiculous. Really? Getting wet can save you? <laughs> Sorry. Hard week. Verse 21. Contrast says and does. So our king receives no one into the kingdom whose religion lies on words and ceremonies, but only on those lives display obedience of what true discipleship is. Okay? God told us what? Go into the world and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. Discipleship is huge. This Saturday morning, okay, we're doing a two-year-long in-depth discipleship thing with the men. I'd love to see every man in the church. Hey, I want to get into the Word. I want to be grounded. I want to have a foundation. I want to come and pray for our church family, to pray for one another. Those are needed things. We need to grow up. We need to be men, right? We all have choices, though. What am I going to choose? You know, well, I'm choosing pleasure. <laughs> Delight yourself in the Lord, guys. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. All those other things are going to be added on to you. Anyways, contrast says and does in verse 21. Then verse 22 and 23 where he says, Lord, Lord, this is often occurrence. Um, it's a form of a polite address to somebody. Lord, Lord, Right? But here he is addressing him in his supreme power in the last day. So all the prophesying, all the preaching in the world will not save the preacher if he does not practice. There's going to be a lot of people. Well, I cast out demons in your name, Lord. Great. I heal people in your name, Lord. Great. It's not you. <laughs> That's me that did those things. You get what Jesus is saying. The problem is, you talked a whole lot about me, but you didn't know me. It's a lot of pastors today. A lot of priests. Okay? If any of you guys have a Roman Catholic friend, get them the book, 50 Roads That Lead from Rome, or something like that. Is that what it's called? Anyways, 50 priests that came to salvation in Christ did all their schooling in the priesthood, and then they get born again, come to a saving knowledge, understand the grace of God, What's up with that? And that's what we have today in the church. Blind people leading blind people. Preaching works. Baptism. <laughs> Not the gospel. So, a lot of people are going to be very surprised in that day. So he may even be very successful in ministry, even cast out demons is what Jesus is seeing. Yet the caster outer of demons will be cast out himself. So how did they do these things? Well, there's three possibilities. They lied, or they were done by the power of Satan, or, um, well, references, you guys remember the magicians of Pharaoh? Copycats, right? They did things too. Um, lying wonders, we're told. These things are going to be going on in the last days. There's a lot of goofy going on in the church today uh, to deceive people. So wouldn't a demon flee a body to dupe the one doing the casting or dupe the onlookers? I think so. We've got to be very careful of that stuff. So the Lord could use them in spite of themselves. Okay? 
I know there's a lot of false teachers out there and people have gotten saved through their ministries. How does that happen? You know? Well, they share the gospel. They just don't believe it themselves. Balaam's a great example of that. Judas, right, might have done miracles too. Saul, he was prophesying, right? So today, would Christ mark you as a poser or an imposter? Okay? Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're right with God. Again, we're not saved by works. Well, I do this and I do that. whoop de do. We should be doing those things because we love Jesus. <laughs> I love you, Lord. That's why I serve the poor. That's why I love my neighbor. That's why I respect my husband. That's why I love my wife. That's why I'm going to train my kids up in the Lord. I love you. <laughs> you deserve it. So verse 23, the words, I never knew you, they were used by the rabbis as a banishment formula in that day. So does he know you? Two scriptures, John 10, 27, my sheep, they hear my voice and they know them and they follow me. They know my voice. Do you have that discernment? When you hear somebody preaching that maybe is a false teacher, are you able to discern the voice of the Spirit? You know, hey, that's of God. That's truth. Or that's not. We're going to hear Jesus. Maybe everybody else is going this way. But God's saying, no. <laughs> This is what I want. They're going to hear. And there's few that find that. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So are you his sheep? That's the question you have to ask yourself this morning. Do you hear his voice? The voice of the shepherd. Do you follow the shepherd? Do you feed on green grass? Right? Peter was told to do what? Feed my sheep. Right? Feed my sheep. They also rest. He makes them lie down in green pastures. They also praise him. Right? Psalm 79.13 So we, your people, are the sheep of your pasture. We will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. And I want you guys to look. Uh, turn to John 10 real quick. I just shared with you guys, my sheep hear my voice. That was verse 27, right? And I know them, Jesus says. I know them. I know my sheep. They know me. We have a relationship. I'm going to look at the context here. Let's go on and look at verses 28 and 29 because there's four important points of comfort that come from this passage right here to ensure the Christian. Take a look with me, verse 28. And I give them eternal life, okay? Once saved, always saved, absolutely. Is eternal life eternal life or not? If you're in him, you're in him, period, okay? They have eternal life and they shall never perish. Does that bring you comfort, Christian? If you're truly born again, if you know him, not just walking through the motions, but he knows you, <laughs> you know him, Okay? You will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I love this passage. As a Christian, I find comfort in that. Because we still have our roller coasters in life, guys, don't we? Yeah. Maybe not up and down as much as maybe it once was, but life is still hard. And to know that God is there for us, yeah, if you're his kid, you're his kid. That comforts me, guys. 
but you got to make sure you're his kid. You know? What is it, 1 John 2, 9? If they were of us, they would still be with us, but they were not of us, and that's why they left. You know, there's people that come around church for a while, and you bump into them, hey, I haven't seen you in a year or two, what's going on? I don't believe. You know, I don't think they ever did believe then, you know? I really don't think they did. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. If we're His, how can we deny? If you know somebody, be like, yeah, I know my mom. She's right there. I know her. It'd be totally stupid for me. You know what? My mom never existed. I just made that up. I got duped. Everybody told me she was my mom. You, know? you can't do that if you're really born again. If you're really born again, you know Jesus Christ. You know the Father, and you cannot deny him. There is no way. You know, you can be a bad kid and try to run away and be disobedient. But if you're his kid, what is he going to do? He's going to discipline you. He loves you. Does that make sense? Anyways, I love the word. I love scriptures that just bring us comfort here. And this is why, guys, we get to rest as Christians. This is why we get to praise him. All right, let's go back to Matthew. Let's look at the two builders. This is our last point here this morning. Verse 24, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Okay, we have some builders here. Okay, it's good to build upon the rock, right? And the rains, they descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not, or does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, this, all that he preached on the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, the other religious people. Of course, guys. He's God. He does have that authority. He's the Logos. He is the Word of God. This is what effectively works in those who believe. That's why we like this this morning, okay? This is good. So one will stand and one will fall. Many villages back then would be built on, there were a lot of slopes, a lot of hillsides, okay? Usually uh, there were towns that were divided by valleys. These houses that were built upon these rocks in some cases, even in, in the walls, they would be hewn into the stone. Storms would come. They're still standing today, guys. <laughs> you know? Thousands of years later, there they are. Why? Because they were made out of stone. Firm foundation. They were built upon. Durable, secure. While other men, because of the lack of space, well, let's go down into the valley. Well, the valley's filled with sand, and they would build the same materials, some of them, you know, built the same way, but because it was built upon sand, the storms came. They'd get washed out. They would fall apart. You guys understand what Jesus is saying here. If I'm not your foundation, you're going to fall, and great your fall is going to be. That is what he's saying. Either he's telling us the truth or he's lying. Okay? I feel so bad that we're being lied to. I feel horrible that we're giving in we started off great here in America. 
You know, but right across the street, we're going to have teachers telling our kids there is no God. Nothing blew up. Evolution. What a joke. Nothing blew up, really. You look at all the creation around us and you're going to say there's no creator. Well, really. What a joke. We're lying to our kids. They need to know the truth, guys. And we need to tell them. So other men. Look at this. Um, well, let's skip that. Let's go to the reality of the structures. There's two of them. Solid rock, bedrock. For an anchoring of the structure, the other shifting sand. Two storms, right? One on rock stood firm. The sand fell flat. So the two builders represent two men in this life. They both have the same materials, the same plans, and the world cannot tell the difference between their houses. They look exactly the same. But when the storm comes, guys, that's when the time of testing comes. You know? How does it look when you're facing death, cancer, illness? You lose your job compared to an unbeliever. There should be a stark difference. We have a hope, and it's not in this life. It's in our Savior. It's eternal life. So, the true Christian is founded upon the rock of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11, you can jot that down. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one which we have already laid, Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. So build on Jesus, the rock, the foundation of truth, which stands like bedrock. It stands. Here we are 2,000 years later in little Kakana, Wisconsin. Okay? His word is standing truth. It's challenged over and over again. Okay? People try, but it continues to stand true. What's up with that? Okay? Well, Jesus is key here. It's very simple. Obedience, right? Even in the Mishnah, which means the study of repetition or oral traditions, the Torah, okay? To learn is not the main thing, but it's to practice, guys. That's what the rabbis would teach people. We gotta practice. Great, I give lip service to Jesus. Whoop-dee-doo. Lord, Lord. You know? Again, we're not saved by good works, but if you're saved there will be good works. That's just the way it is. You know, I don't want anybody, I don't want to have to do your funeral someday and have to get up before your loved ones, your family. Well, they came to church. You know, you guys know I don't know how much you guys give or if you give. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But you can look around this room and you can look at each other's lives. Hey, they bear fruit. You know, they love Jesus. They're loving others. They're serving others. You know, there's going to be good fruit in your life. That's just the way it is. Those are the funerals I like to do, you know, because I'm stoked. Because, hey, they're in a better place. I know that for sure, you know. Anyways, let's finish up. Turn to Ezekiel. I'm going to stand up for this last part. I don't think the seat helped this morning much. Oh, Jesus knew many would treat him just as Ezekiel got treated. Let's look at Ezekiel 33. I, I might have printed this in the thing if you, the handout. It is? Okay. Look at verse 30. As for you, son of man, the children, okay, 33 verse 30, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another. 
Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear the word, what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear the words, but they do not do them. For with their mouths, they show much love, but their hearts, what about their hearts? Well, they pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. You know, we can have people come and visit. You know, hey, enjoyed it. Good message. You know, real people. I can feel the love here at the church and the fellowship. You know, but it's a whole other thing to actually do what we're being taught, guys. You know, there's a lot of people who've come through, have heard the truth of the gospel. Jesus is the only way that he laid down his life on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Anyone that confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, they shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. That's how a person's saved, guys. It's belief. It's being born again. You have to believe. And in that, people hear, but they never do anything with it. They just hear, oh, that was lovely. That's nice. You know? We can't choose, guys. We can't make people make their choices. But we can make our choices. (laughs) And when we make our choices, guys, hopefully that will influence others. They will see that we are salt and light. They will see a difference. You know? Hey, these Christians may be narrow-minded, but it's because their God made it pretty easy. He did all the work. All I have to do is believe. What? Can't be that simple. I want to do more. Can't add anything to Jesus. Can't add anything. So, the religious teachers have... Two great causes of grief. Many will not hear you at all. And the second one is, many will hear, perhaps even admire, yet they don't do. That's the hard thing. Let's be a church that does James 1.22. We're not hearers of the word only, but doers of it. Amen? Amen. Next week, we're going to get into chapter 8, guys. I'd like you to read ahead. So I hope you guys are challenged this morning to make the right choices, decisions, the right road choices, self-denial, the right fruit choices, have a good road system, right? Okay? We need that. We need to be fed. We need to go deep. Okay? And I want to do that. I take the Word of God serious. I want us to be able to come together and be growing. I could give you a little fluffy, feel-good sermon every week. We probably have a lot more people come to church but we're not going to grow. We're not going to go deep. We're not going to bear a lot of fruit. And guys, I'm blessed to be a part of this fellowship. I look at what God's doing through this little bitty church and what he's done over the last 11 years. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And I think a big part of it is because we're not just hearers. We're doing what he says. So let's bow our heads. We'll pray. Father, we thank you. I loved... This last week, being able to see my, my kiddos, 
I'm going to niece playing paper, rocks, and scissors. And Father, with you, we always want to pick rock. Because Jesus, you are that firm foundation. You are the truth. We thank you that you are the rock of our salvation. God, I pray that everybody's heart here today, we'd be open to choosing the rock, to choose you, Jesus. They've heard, but it's between them and you. And if they don't know you, Father, if they don't have a relationship with you, would you please, Holy Spirit, just touch their hearts, open their eyes, Father. Help them to see their need of you, that they would repent, that they would turn to you. Turn from this world and sin and say yes to you. You love them. Thank you. Thank you for how you love this world, how you love us, for the grace that has found us, God. Just thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.